Hi, this is Watchin, and you are now listening to the I Choose the Ladder podcast, a podcast for Black women on the corporate climb. In today's episode, you meet Arshel Stevens, someone who I absolutely respect and adore. She is amazing, and you'll see that as the conversation continues. But Arshel is a seasoned not-for-profit executive, a champion of and leader in urban education, and a veteran expert in the traditionally male IT industry. As a girl, she was raised to challenge limitations, and now as the mother of an amazingly strong, smart, and bold daughter, Stevens is deeply committed to Girls Inc.'s unparalleled commitment to empower girls to success. In her most recent role as president of Kennedy King College, she led the organization to the reaccreditation with the Higher Learning Commission and spearheaded efforts to secure over $1.2 million in development funding to supplement the college operating budget. During her tenure, degrees awarded increased by 14%, and the number of students transferring to four-year institutions grew 11%. Prior to her appointment as president, Stevens served as the vice chancellor and chief information officer at City Colleges. In that role, Stevens oversaw the provisions of technology for the City College of Chicago's seven campuses and six satellite sites that together served more than 115,000 students and approximately 5,500 faculty and staff. She she previously served as the Chief Information Officer for Chicago Public Schools, leading leading approximately 300 staff who supported all things IT for nearly a half million users across 700 unique locations. During her time there, she managed the 21st century upgrade of CPS's administrative systems, creating a more collaborative educational environment and diminishing barriers between CPS families and access to technology resources. Stevens holds a Bachelor's of Science in Economics from the University of Illinois Champaign-Urbana and an MBA from the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. She currently serves as a board member for Friends and Family Health Center. She's married to Craig and they have two children, Tristan and Regan. She is such an amazing CEO of Girls Inc. of Chicago, which is a phenomenal organization. If you are not familiar with it, I encourage you to look it up. And if you're in the Chicagoland area, to volunteer with them. But as you can tell, Arshel is really passionate about the work that she does in the community that she serves. And she's really passionate about Black women. So I hope that you get a ton from this conversation. As always, grab your notebook, your pen, and your favorite beverage. Today, I'm going to be drinking tea and enjoy this conversation with Arshel. Arshel, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. I told you I stalked you, and I knew she's she's a Booth alum, you guys. So that, that means that there is light at the end of the microeconomics tunnel, of the accounting <laughs> tunnel, of all the business school tunnels. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited, and I stalked you as well. Oh, God. And, and hopefully I'll make your dinner list, and you can tell your listeners later what I mean by that. That's so funny. You are always invited <laughs> to a dinner that I have. Um, but so the first, and I was joking a little bit earlier, um, I'm going to start the, the interview a little bit different. So if people listen to the podcast before, you guys know that my idea of what a CEO does is private jets, stilettos, <laughs> hair laid, face beat, drinking champagne, and delegating all the work to someone else. Is that your life? No, but I would love 
if you ever come across where that description is accurate, please, please recommend me for the job. Um, it is not. Um, and it, you know, when I describe, so I would say this is my second CEO role. Um, so the first was as president of Kennedy King College. Um, and so I am now the CEO of Girls Inc. of Chicago. And I'm um, very, very different um, jobs. Um, so I am a, for Girls Inc., for all practical purposes, I'm a startup CEO. Okay. So I'm starting an organization from scratch. Um, so the first year, I was the only <clears throat> administrative employee. So no champagne, um, oh. but 12 <laughs> to 15-hour days on a regular basis. Um, tapping into skills that I might not have used in a while mm. because um, I have been in executive level management roles and so um, I had other people to do things like research the best um, insurance plan mm. in Chicago um, so um, there is um, but I would say if I would say in general um, as a CEO you have to be um, versed in many topics um, kind of a jack of all trades um, and you um, need to be able to build a team that then takes um, the depth, takes a topic in the depth that you need it. Um, so you provide um, strategic direction um, and you influence um, the decision in which your teammates um, can take topics that need to be um, developed at a deeper level. Um, no, no champagne, um, not lots of people at my level right now, especially with Girls Inc. to help, um, but lots of autonomy um, to influence um, decisions and strategies that really are good and um, personal for me. Um, so I work um, with um, issues related to girls. And so it's great being the, the leader who can then say, you know what, in Chicago, we're a very segregated city. We are. And um, I want Girls Inc. to address that. Mm. I want our girls to have the opportunity to come together. And as a CEO, I have um, the influence and the autonomy and, mm. and enough autonomy to make things like that happen. So there is kind of a silver lining, even though I don't have the stilettos and the champagne. <laughs> they're, they're, they're still there's a silver lining to um, having a role like this. Got it. Um, so you've worked for a while in leadership, but when you first started, you were super corporate, right? You worked for a corporation. So yeah. can you talk about how you got that first corporate job? Like, were your parents in corporate? How did you even find out about corporate America? Wow. Um, so, you know, if to hopefully not talk too long, but I'm a Southern girl. Um, so for, I'm, a, I'm from a small town. I'm from Columbia, Mississippi. Um, Mississippi. Sippy, you are Sippy the Sip, yeah. Southern, Southern. I am Southern, Southern. I actually grew up in Walter Payton's hometown, so mm -hmm. there you go. Um, so I actually, um, I call myself a love child. So okay. um, I was um, conceived, oh, my mom's going to cringe, but I was conceived at Jackson State University. Aww. Yeah, yeah. So my mom was in college, um, and so she had to take a, a slight break from college. Um, her mother wanted all of her kids to um, finish college, so I stayed with my grandmother in Mississippi for quite a while. Okay. Um, during my youth. And so I knew about college. So I am not a first-generation college student. Mm -hmm. um, my father also was in college. Yeah. He, he had attended Jackson State University. So I am one of those um, kids where college was expected of me. Okay. Um, now, I did um, have lots of help from my father, especially 
in choosing a major and choosing a school. Okay. Um, I'm a mother, and I have a 17-year-old son, and we've already gone on four college visits. I never did that. Mm-hmm. Like, in my father's eyes, um, you, you choose a major that will help you to earn a living, and then you find the best deal mm-hmm. for that. And the deal is you can afford it-ish, let's call it-ish, and it'll get you a job. Mm. And so I ended up at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. From Mississippi. From I Mississippi. bet you that was a culture. Your first winter. Oh, <clears throat> Lord. Oh, yeah. I moved, I moved to Chicago in 84, so I actually finished um, my the the junior my junior and senior in high school here. Okay. I came to live with my father. And so I the idea of being a cool kid went completely out the window because <laughs> I had to have the big down jackets, the big the big fuzzy boots. Yeah. So it was it was a huge adjustment. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And so your dad tells you this is how strategically you think mm-hmm. about it. So that first job though, how did you get it? So you know so I so when you think about so there are many facets to choosing a college, right? And so um, reputation of college, supportive students, um, where it's located. Um, we focused a lot on the majors. So at the time I wanted to be a computer science major. And um, so reputation of college was really important for him. And Mm -hmm. so I did get into the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. And um, that network during that time, so I was there from 1986 to 1992. And that that system worked for me. So they had had a, a job fair. And, um, you know, they had, it was online, it was, there were several in person, you submitted your resume, they helped you to create your resume, Mm. they helped you to um, prepare for the interviews. And I went, I I went through that process, Um, I ended up working for CNA Insurance, Um, I interviewed there on campus, and I have kind of like that storybook job search so you know I I received an offer immediately for them now I was a pretty marketable candidate I was one of the few black women that was um, interviewing Mm -hmm. in the um, technology field so I think that was appealing to a company who wanted to make sure that they had a diverse workforce Mm -hmm. Um, and even once I started at that new job they had a program where I spent about three months in about four departments for a year exploring the work so then I could kind of put a bid in to um, have a permanent job going forward. So I have this kind of um, storybook um, first job experience. It was a really great experience. So I'm the person that used the university's resources mm-hmm. um, and I was really be able to um, land a really great opportunity as a result of that. And thinking back to that first job, was it diverse? Were there lots of other black women once you started or were you one of a handful? Um, so so when I started at, at CNA, I was in my cohort because they, they um, much like us in grad school, they put us in cohorts. I was the only um, black woman in the cohort but there was one other woman of color and there had been other black women to come through the cohort so um but I also again I think I was lucky to come through it um during a time when diversity um was more respected and um there were a few companies within Chicago um that were seeking it out so I think I think I I, again I I was it was during a time where it was it was was the right time Mm. I was in the right place at the right time and you talked a little bit about your parents influence and you know shaping that early like educational portion of your life um we hear a lot now around like you need a mentor you need a sponsor you need has how has that played in your kind of journey through your career so um 
you know, I've, I've listened to your podcast and I've listened to people talk about mentorship and it is, it has been absolutely critical mm. in, in my journey. And um, I think that um, when we think, but you have to think of a mentor as a person who offers their advice and expertise from their perspective. Mm. And then if you from have- From their perspective, that matters. Yes, it matters, right? And you also then have to question and help and have them help you to receive and execute on that advice from your perspective, mm. right? Um, you know, one of my favorite stories is, um, so I had a friend who wanted to negotiate a salary for a job change. And so she was like, how would you handle this? And I said, well, here's what I would say. But I said, I don't think you should say it that way mm. because the follow-up conversation, I can't dictate for you. Mm. I can dictate the opening line, but then you have to have your persona. You have to be able to back it up. And so let's work on doing this your way. Let's talk, work on language and the, the five different topics that could come up. Let's prepare it in your language mm. and in your style. So what, because this <clears throat> comes up a lot, I actually right before you got here, and I'm getting text messages about it now, um, about negotiating a salary, right? It's for a job change. What would you, how do you think about it? What, what do you, you know, for the young women, right? You're more um, senior in your career, so you've gone through rounds of negotiations. This is something like, mm -hmm. I don't know that it gets easier, but you've had enough practice at this. So someone who's middle or junior level, who's at the point where they have an offer, and they're trying to negotiate, and they really want the job, they don't want to lose it, mm -hmm. especially black women, right? Because mm -hmm. we, we're just happy to have the offer. So, like, what would you, how do you approach it? You know, um, so it's in interesting that this topic comes up because um, in the job that I currently have, um, there, there, the salary had to be negotiated, and um, as we debriefed after I had been in the job about a year, um, uh, a fact came to light that men will typically um, exchange, have a conversation or exchange about salary anywhere between four and six times before the salary is finalized. Women mm. will have a salary conversation maybe two to three times mm. before the salary is finalized. Um, as women, we tend to um, uh, under, I don't want to say undervalue ourselves, but we are grateful um, for an offering, um, if it's a job that we like and if it's at least the same or more than we made before. And um, unfortunately, um, that is because we've have, had experiences where people felt like we were too aggressive mm. if we asked, if we over asked. And um, I think that every woman owes it to herself, every, especially black women, um, to have a conversation with an experienced person, a mentor, um, work for it, work, you know, find somebody at that corporation so that you have some inside information so that you can come up with um, a target mm. um, that is fair to you mm -hmm. and um, you don't feel like you've settled and you certainly, even if you don't feel like you've settled, once you get in there and you feel like, oh my gosh, they lowballed me mm -hmm. and now there's, there's a little bit of bad blood uh, for that. So I think the steps to take are one, to understand what the market offers, Yep. understand what your value is, work to find out what the company's market is, mm. and then put all of that together and have a plan. Um, I never asked for 
the what I'm willing to sell to willing to take first I always overshoot you know mm-hmm. and overshoot could be you know anywhere mm-hmm. from fifteen to twenty thousand dollars it just depends on the current situation mm-hmm. um, and then hopefully everybody comes to what they feel is fair like everybody concedes and you come to what is fair for the company and for the employee yeah got it got it yep so but you got to do your research you do you got to do your and research you can, and I just feel like that's what I should make is not that's not it no because feelings don't like no no but I'm surprised six times is what men yeah huh. yeah huh. yeah wow okay that's my mind is like, have I? How often do I negotiate? Yeah, have I been lowballing myself? What is happening? Okay, so one of the things that we talked about, um, and we talk about quite a lot on the podcast, is black hair, right? So you, mm-hmm. you're fortunate in that you're in a space. <laughs> the look on your face, yeah, girl. The, the you're fortunate that you work in an environment now where you you kind of help shape the corporate culture, mm-hmm. which I think is really important. You're also working with girls from a bunch of different backgrounds, so mm-hmm. setting an example for them, I think, is something that's important. Mm-hmm. But in your life as a whole do you think about your hair do you have you has it changed you've gotten more senior I do I do I I think about my hair I think about my clothes um ultimately though I succumb to me being an individual and being comfortable Mm. (laughs) so like um I, I have that I have that personality type um I also again have the work ethic um um to not have to deal with a lot of feedback Um, as it relates to that, right? And I know that sometimes we would just like for people to say, you know what, it's not, and I I, I completely, you know what, hair is hair, let it go. You know what, if I come in bald, I can still do the same job, Mm -hmm. right? So, you know, like hair is hair, let it go. Um, The realities um, of where I've come from is that people are judgmental, right? Um, I started my career in technology and so technology is somewhat of um, uh, a free, uh, it's a free uh, um, discipline in that programmers can come in and they can work independently. There's quite a bit of work that they can do mm-hmm. that doesn't involve interacting mm-hmm. with others, right? So it is not uncommon to have a programmer who can spend a lot of time by himself that comes in and they don't want to dress business casual. Mm-hmm. They want to dress extremely casual or the one thing that we saw is the colored hair. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they, they have the hair dyed. And, you know, for a while, there would be concern about um, the color of the hair, especially I was in banking and financial mm-hmm. services. And so bankers are suit and tie back then, right? Stockings and yeah, all that. Yeah, stockings. You know, I for, the, for, for my first job, I wore heels and stockings and a skirt on a fairly regular basis. And I finally had to have a conversation with a, with a friend to say, can I wear pants? <laughs> and you know what? You know, we went back and forth, and I was like, I'm wearing pants, right? And so, you know, I, eventually I ended up wearing blue jeans and cowboy boots on a regular <laughs> basis, right? Um, so, yeah, hair comes up. I think about it. My ultimate feeling is that hair is not, um, does not detract from you doing your job. Um, we have to all own up that to the fact that if you are in a client-based um, profession, that sometimes clients prefer, and you have to make the decision on how important that client is. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes changing your hairstyle doesn't necessarily sell your soul, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But um, ultimately, um, I think hair should not be a factor. You know, I um, so I'm a braid wearer, and so you know when I first started at Chicago Public Schools. Um, I, I was going on vacation, and I was like, okay, do I have to take my braids out when you before go back? back? Yeah. And you know what? I said, 
I'm not doing it. And I didn't. And then probably within a month, you started to see more braids in my department, mm. right? So you, to your point, you set the tone, right? Mm. So once I started to do it, others started to do it, and you know what? We all were happily ever after, right? And I mean, so I didn't start getting, so I talked to one of my mentors, Dee Anderson. Um, she's at JP Morgan. And I was like, can I get braids? And she was like, yes, it's the summertime. You like to work out. Like, your hair just needs to be neat. Mm-hmm. It does not need, like, she's like, I wear braids sometimes and all of those things, but I think people are scared because they think that they're going to be judged or there are certain assumptions of, like, what is appropriate corporate mm-hmm. culture look or not. Well, what's interesting is now the idea of meat hair is also debatable. Um, I have a 17-year-old son (laughs) who doesn't believe in neat hair. Mm. And we also have um, what my definition of neat is not the same as some of the younger girls who are affiliated with Girls, Inc. And Mm. you know what? At the end of the day, it's all okay. Yeah. It really is. You should tell. We should put a billboard up that says at the end of the day, (laughs) it's all okay. okay. That's it. That's it. So uh, you talked a little bit about, you know, having to use new skills, the, the kind of the route that you've gone. Um, can you think of a time in your career where you maybe felt stuck and like a specific time and what do you do to get unstuck when you feel stuck? Oh my gosh. So um, I became the chief information officer for Chicago Public Schools. Um, I want to say this was probably around 2008-ish. 2009-ish. And so um, I was the first woman and the first person of color to have that role. So um, Chicago Public Schools at that time, and I think it still is the third largest school district. And um, we were also going through a huge transformation as it relates to technology. Mm. Um, We um, were making some pretty aggressive efforts to swap out um, um, technology. technology and and make it more robust and more usable and more student-friendly even, which student-friendly wasn't always at the the focus of technology. And um, I was asked to speak a lot about the work that we had done and um, lessons learned and just talk about the experience of working for um, Chicago Public Schools. You know, we, we, we've always received a lot of press about our school system. And um, I was always on a panel with a white with white men, mm-hmm. ultimately white men. And so um, I would walk to a CIO's conference and, and someone would say, how can I help you? I'm a CIO here for the conference. And so that would be the first barrier. And then at the time, um, um, I, I started to kind of get this degree in the, I didn't have a master's degree at the mm. time. And um, then there was always this idea of why does she have this job? You know, mm. that was always, mm-hmm. so, you know, for a while I was feeling a little like, is this the right field for me? And if it's not, um, am I stuck? You know, mm. what can I do? And, you know, I decided that, you know what, um, I have to now plan four ways out. So I decided that I wanted to get my master's, right? I think I, I felt like, you know, for my next step so that I wouldn't feel stuck in, in one in one particular discipline, mm-hmm. that I needed a master's and I needed to be versatile. versatile. So that's why I decided to um, get my MBA. Okay. And, um, and I had to um, make sure that 
as I started, um, while I was working through that MBA, that I also started to network and understand what options were available to a person who um, had the idea that after spending quite a bit of time in technology that I wanted to transition out. Mm. And so I did. I felt stuck for a while that, you know, what I'm going to be in this technology field um, it's not exciting. I don't feel like we, we did a lot of work to help students with technology. I'm really proud of that work. We introduced iPads um, to schools and help mm-hmm. teachers to um, use that technology to um, differentiate learning for different students. Mm-hmm. Like it, that's some great work. But ultimately, that's a small piece of the work. Mm-hmm. You know, the work is really more about the network um, and availability versus um, the hands-on technology use that benefits students. So it was. Um, so it was really refreshing um, to, to come up with a plan and as you know um, the Booth degree is about a two year degree uh, commitment mm-hmm. um, it's a rigorous um, degree so I was quite intimidated by it mm-hmm. but um, I decided that this was the best route for me and, um, and you know ultimately it worked um, uh, putting um, committing to that two year period of time um, committing to being brave enough to start to ask about alternate jobs and using the experience that I have, um, knowing about business processes, Mm. knowing about um, the business, um, not just the IT of the business, but the business itself, and using that to build my case was, you know, had to be courageous to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, But in the end, it worked out. So yes, absolutely um, felt stuck for a while in IT, um, but put a plan together. And it was a long-term plan. So, you you know, I had to be pretty faithful to it Mm -hmm. um, and be um, very faithful that in the end that I would be able to leverage it the way I wanted to. Mm. Um, And then my mind is just racing with so many questions. So you thought you wanted to transition out of technology, but Mm -hmm. in general, how do you know when it's time to move on to your next opportunity? You know, um, I think you know when... The work is burdensome and no longer a challenge, right? So when um, you feel like um, you can't, you you no longer, um, I feel like as, as leaders, we have to be completely accountable. Right, we have to say, I own this. I own the success of it. You know, um, when I started out in technology, one of I was a desktop technician, so I was the person that would come to your desk, put a take your dumb terminal out, put a brand new PC, and so I was really I was bringing some good stuff, um, <laughs> put it on, you know, and make it and, and set it up. And so, you know, but a table had to be there for me to set up your computer. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't IT's job. That was facilities <laughs> job, right? And so I had a boss um, um, who would say well, why didn't facilities put the table there? And so I quickly learned that it didn't matter to my boss nor to you as a customer whether or not the table was there. All you wanted was your computer. So that's actually how I ended up in management. I took the approach that, you know what, I'm going to build a relationship with facilities so that I have an idea or even if I can help them out, I can. Mm -hmm. And so um, that I can can start to do these things um, myself. So, um, in general, um, that's that's when you feel good about your work. You're excited. You're solving problems. But when you start to lose accountability for it, and now you're saying, "I don't want to help facilities. I'm just going to hold facilities accountable." It's a 
that becomes, you're not excited about it. Mm. And the challenge and the excitement of solving problems is gone. Mm. And so um, it's probably time for you to think about new work or different work that continues to excite you. So I think when you are no longer excited, um, that you you no longer are willing to kind of go over and above um, because it feels like a burden, it feels unfair, mm. I think you've lost your zeal and your zest for the work that you're doing. So it's, it's, it's time to take to make a change. What if they never had that feeling, right? Because like, how do you know if it's you or if it's, or if it's the work? If it's the work? Um, like, how do you know it's not you being lazy? You know, you know, um, you know what, that's being extremely self-reflective. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where, again, a mentor and real friends come into mm-hmm. play, mm-hmm. right? You know, um, you know, today, you know, right, you know, in, in every job I have in present time, I still have to call and say, hey, here's a scenario. Um, you know me. Is it our shell or is it the situation? Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you advise? Our, what would you do? Mm-hmm. And then what would you advise our shelter? I always ask both. What would you do, mm-hmm. right? And then what would you advise me to do, knowing how I operate and mm-hmm. what my trigger points are? So I think um, you that's where having a good, uh, close network. And maybe network is an... Um, a, a network of advisors, right? Mm-hmm. People that you know your work, um, who are honest, um, who have achieved the things that you want to achieve, or maybe they, and it doesn't mean that they are higher level than you. It's mm-hmm. there. They have the same ambitions of you and you guys are uh, ambitions as you and you're going through the process um, at the same time. So check in with them um, mm-hmm. because sometimes, you know what, it is you. And, and sometimes <laughs> it, it is you. It, sometimes it is. it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. At the end of the day, no one's perfect. Um, uh, the world is a tough place. Life is tough. And sometimes we um, take a step back and we don't even realize that we've taken that step back. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've mentioned the word that I think stresses people out a lot a couple of times, so network. Mm-hmm. How have you been or have you been intentional about cultivating a network? And is there something that you would advise someone who may be a little bit more introverted, a little bit more shy, but understands the importance of having a network that they could do to help develop that circle? Absolutely. So networking is, in general, is very hard, you know, especially when it's not with people that you um, are part of the group naturally. Mm -hmm. So if someone says, hey, you know, let's go um, to Watchin's um, podcast where she's invited, you know, 50 people to watch it this time and there's going to be an opportunity for 30 minutes um, to network, Mm -hmm. right? When you go into that room and you're going to meet, you know, at least 10 or 15 people that you've never met before, you know, it's odd. It's awkward. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to think, what do I want to come out of this conversation? Mm -hmm. Um, What do I want? What is, Mm -hmm. what does um, progress look like um, for me from this networking event? Mm -hmm. And so what you have to do is take baby steps, right? So maybe it's, um, I received X amount of business cards from people that might be interested in learning more about the work that I do. Or, you know, I receive ex- a, a card from somebody that I can help. People are mm-hmm. always very receptive mm-hmm. when you're offering them help mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, networking in general is hard, but it's necessary. It's necessary to meet new people, but it's also necessary to build um, a network of advisors um, and like-minded um, peers who you can bounce ideas off and they can advise you on the next steps of solving problems. And um, the best way to do that is to start to ask. 
You know, mm-hmm. we're sometimes embarrassed to say that we don't have the answer. Mm-hmm. We're sometimes embarrassed to say that we did something wrong, mm-hmm. right? You have to get past that fear, mm-hmm. um, and you have to just say, hey, I think I messed up. I sent an email when I was angry, and here's what I said, mm-hmm. right? What do you advise on how to recover from this, right? And um, so you start by asking questions, um, asking for help, and then it's amazing what comes back to you. Feedback comes back to you, but then people also start to share their mishaps mm-hmm. and ask and seek your advice and counsel. And then that feeling of I'm not alone is one of the most comforting feelings um, that you can ever have um, as you're working through um, the corporate the corporate ladder. Mm-hmm. And I'm one of those people, like, I do not like networking events. And so at my events, I plan my events for people who don't like networking. And so when you walk into any event that I'm throwing, there are usually prompt cards on the table. So if you end up at a table with someone, there's something that's an icebreaker. So I think one of the questions is like, what's a song that embodies your career right now? Low pressure, low stakes, mm-hmm. kind of funny. And then right. once you have something to break the ice, yeah, absolutely. it helps, but you have to do it. You, have you, to, you just it. have to do it. You have to find something that works for you and just and do that. Because yeah. you can't survive corporate without a network. Absolutely. At all. Absolutely. Um, so... Outside of your education, so you mentioned you went and got your master's, what do you think the best investment you've ever made in your career has been? Um, wow. I would say, this might be an odd answer, but <laughs> I would say the investment is me and choosing me, right? And what do I mean by that? So I feel most comfortable when things are in balance, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, I have two I have two kids. I have a 17-year-old son, a 13-year-old daughter. Mm-hmm. And um, while I'm not a, I would not, and I'm, I'm not, I don't think anybody would describe me as a helicopter mom, I am a very involved mom, mm-hmm. right? Um, I make sure that um, they have activities. Um, you know, I, you know, I, I, I'm just a very involved mom. I've been married 25 years. Ooh, you need to be on this love. Well, 25 years in 2020. I'm, I'm projected to next year because that's a lot going listen, on next year. <laughs> listen, 25. You need to be on the love. Um, we, we'll talk about this. <laughs> we will talk 25 years. Next year, 2020. I, and next year I have my uh, 25th wedding anniversary my son will be graduating, going to college, and my daughter will be graduating eighth grade and going to high school. Like, it's a big year. It sounds like an expensive year to me. <laughs> no, right? <laughs> it's a lot of celebrating. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So, so for me, like, I made the decision that um, everybody has to understand my competing priorities, right? Mm-hmm. So family has to understand that some work is time-sensitive, and work has to understand that family is time sensitive. Mm. So I, I am the blend person. So it, so I've mentioned my kids twice in this conversation. In an interview, you will know that I have ten kids. I mean, two kids, right? No, no, because um, and during a meeting, you will you will hear. Now I would not do this during your podcast, but I will say, you know what, my son is making a transit my daughter is mostly right because she's 13 she's making a transition and it's a little new for her so I have to keep watching my phone I don't mean to be rude mm. but if she needs me I need to be able to step out mm-hmm. and um I don't care if you think where's her father or where's grandma 
there are things that I need to do, mm. right? So I invest in myself and my peace of mind by just owning up to there are some things that I have to do. Mm-hmm. And so my worlds have to come together and understand that. So I think once I um, had the courage um, to be honest, especially on the work side mm-hmm. with people about mm-hmm. how I operate best in keeping a hands-on approach, especially to my kids, mm-hmm. um, that was a huge investment of, of myself and, and, and just the commitment to, to be honest about that and to let the worlds blend mm-hmm. so that I have a good work-life balance. So I'm going to jump ahead a little bit because, listen, <laughs> I'm praying about this. So did you think about how having a family and getting married would impact your career or was it just something that you knew that you would always do? You know, to be quite honest with you, I didn't always know... I hadn't com- when I had my first um, um, son, my, my son, I hadn't committed to being a parent, um, mm. and um, so things happen, <laughs> and things happen, right? And so, and so, hi Tristan, <laughs> hi sweetie, um, but um, here's um, here's what I I've discovered about being a parent that um it is you know parenting is hard and you'll hear that I don't know if you're a mom or not so let me just so I don't know what your plans are if anybody's about Lord listen to her because you know I would like to be married and have children but the Lord is tripping so he's not tripping he's doing what he's he's supposed to do he's doing whatever he wants to do which is what we talk about I'm like Lord you need to come on over to my side with my plan. And he just, he's saying, what he wants. you don't understand how this works. It's what he's saying, my dear. <laughs> but so, so kids are hard. He, you know, like when your kid has his first heartbreak or when your kid has worked his butt off and he can't get that next time, Tristan's going to be like, mom, stop talking about it. It's swimming. Like mm-hmm. these are things that um, affect them that your magic words don't cure. Mm. Like the the um, parenting is 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 hard. It's it is the most difficult undertaking that mm. I have done and that I'm currently going through. Mm. And um, but what I will say about kids is like you could tell me there's ten things, five things that you did really really wrong. Let's say ten, and you did really really wrong, and I really wish I hadn't done them, and I can erase them clean. And if you told me I wouldn't have my kids again, I'd be like, oh, forget it. I can still mm. live with that with, with this mom. But again, I think that so 2000 Tristan was born in 2002, and I was still working in the more traditional corporate environment, mm-hmm. and so I was working in um, directly in financial services um, and banking at that point. I had moved to banking, and so I was my you know literally to be successful at my job, I literally was on the road all the time, and mm-hmm. I'm pretty conscientious and results oriented mm-hmm. when it comes to work, so I was. So I had a team in Charlotte, um, and then I had a team in Virginia, and then we were going through um, a merger of small brokerage firms. So I was flying with some of my team members to those small areas, and I remember one time I had a hard time leaving, and I'm at the I'm late to get to the counter. I won't call out the airline, and I'm like boohoo crying, like literally snot running down me, and the and the person didn't even acknowledge how upset I was. I was like, you know what, this is a sign. And so I immediately decided that um, I couldn't have the type of results and success that I wanted without that travel, but the travel 
um, was non-negotiable on the work side. So I decided that I needed to find a new type of work. Mm-hmm. And then that's how I actually transitioned to nonprofit slash government. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so I have I have to often make conscious decisions about um, family versus work. And like I said, when I made the investment in me first, mm-hmm. which means that the company, the kids, the husband, it's what makes me happy and mm-hmm. what makes me feel most... And Because parenting, like 90% of parent, okay, let's say 80% of parenting is feel comfortable with your decisions. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, today, yes, I agree, and it makes me feel more comfortable that I'm there on the first day of school so that 8.30 meeting ain't going to happen. Mm-hmm. It, you know, we can do 10 or 11, or we can do it next week after we get past this first week of school. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I... I I, I, I've, I listen to lots of women um, talk about the difficulties of parenting. Um, I wasn't intimidated. My, my fear of parenting was more about um, me as a mother, but not the work-life ba- balance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in, now today we have quite a few um, leaders who are hiring that are more empathetic um, and they want the same for themselves. Mm. So I think that, you know, I think people will be pleasantly surprised with how your employers um, respond to your need to have have that balance today. Um, So you just talked a little bit about, you know, hiring. You've managed teams for years. Is there something that you can identify that you see black women doing in the workplace that their counterparts aren't that could potentially be holding them back in terms of progression? Um, you know, you, you, you hit on this earlier with one of the questions you asked. You said, when is it you? When is, when is it you just not, you're not doing the right things at work and, mm-hmm. you know, you're not doing your best? And I think that what I noticed is that um, um, when black women feel like they are being mistreated, that they quit. Mm-hmm. And they quit in one of two ways. They leave the job or they quit doing the work and stay on the job. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's a personal preference, but most people do the job and then fight the inequity or the injustice and show the proof in the results. Mm. And so I've, I've noticed that um, we uh, want the injustice if we that the perceived injustice to be corrected before we even take the first step, and I'm not saying that that's completely wrong, but um, that is different mm-hmm. than what I feel like some of our counterparts and our colleagues do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so that 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 I would say, does that make sense? It I, does. I would, it I does. Would say that, and I had not even thought about, that. but it's true. It's one of those two ways that people quit. Yeah, they just say, you know what, and then they don't have a job later. You know what, I quit. I'm not going back there. And then, you know, two months, they still don't have a replacement job. Or, you or know. Or they stay and they're not promoted and they're still in that the, same position and they're even angrier three or two, three, four, five years later. later. Yeah. Um, dang, I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that you, like we just talked about, you know, the injustice is happening and you're still fighting the injustice you're doing your work. I feel like that you have to have a certain kind of like level of communication skills. Mm-hmm. And so has your communication changed as you've gotten more senior? Like, do you think about like not coming across as the angry black woman or all of those things? Like, has that changed? Oh my gosh. Um, so, so communication for me has always been um, a worry point, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so again, a Southern girl, um, I, I spent most of my youth with my grandmother who um, didn't graduate high school 
And so I have always been really concerned about my speech patterns, especially coming from the South to the Midwest, mm -hmm. right? So um, that's another investment that I made in myself is um, working on my speech. So I can't remember those. I used to, when, when your car used to have a cassette player, I used to have these tapes, and it, it used to be help you with your vocabulary and help to include um, improve your um, speaking ability. So I would do that on a car ride between mm. things, right? So um, communication has always been something that I've been paranoid about, you know, kind of like the degree, like, okay, am I, do I have a deficit as compared to my colleagues? Um, so communication is, is optimal. Um, yes, have I experienced the, uh, this, this being conscious of people think that I'm an angry black woman? And in fact, um, it's been said, but it's couched in many different um, terms, you know, you're high maintenance, um, you know, you are um, combative, right? You know, like, you know, you, you know, no, um, it's just one of the, this is a time where if I am accountable for this, then I need to have the decision making power in this. And there are some things that are non negotiable for me to be fully accountable. Mm -hmm. um, and let's be clear, this is no different. Um, than what some of my counterparts do. You know, what I learned about myself and trying to understand my management style and who I am and um, be a better employee and a better leader, I discovered that um, I have what people would deem as um, male characteristics when it comes to leadership style. Mm -hmm. So one of, like, a, a pretty simple example that resonated with me is that a man will say, I need this code completed by Sunday at 5 p.m. And that's the end of the conversation. Yeah. A woman will say, um, do you think Sunday you can have this done Sunday by 5 p.m.? So that's mm -hmm. how a woman. So I was more. We ask questions. We they make statements. statements. Right. I was more of the statement. But guess what? Everybody, men, black men, black women, white women, they all take offense when a black woman has that direct communication mm -hmm. style. And I will admit that. Um, the first thing I do sometimes when I'm going to have um, a conversation with people who are not um, accustomed to interacting with me, I state that. You know, mm -hmm. I'm a very direct person. Mm -hmm. Please don't take it personally. Um, it's the easiest way to get things done quickly. So I explain my style so people aren't taking it back. Mm -hmm. um, other times I have kind of blended the two. Um, I need the code by Sunday at 5. Is there anything that would stop you from getting this done? Is there anything mm -hmm. that I can help you do to clear the path for making that? So like a blended version Ooh, of it, right? a Jedi mind trick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah girl, it works too. Because I was like, oh, because it just seems a little bit more. Yeah. But you still don't have it by well, 5 on Sunday. Well, let's be clear. When they don't want to work for you, they'd be like, I don't want to do, they want. They don't want to do anything else. So, you know, mm. like that's to the Jedi mind tricks, They when they don't want to do the work for you, they still figure out a way. So mm. you still have to, you know, stay on your toes. Wow. <laughs> you still Man. have to stay on your toes. Um, so you talked a little bit about family imbalance, but how do you, how do you run your interests outside of, that are just your interests? Mm -hmm. How do you make sure that with a high demanding job, a whole husband and a whole two children that you still find time for the things that kind of fuel you and, and make you feel alive. Okay, so one of my most favorite things in the world is sun. Okay. And so that means that I don't get enough of it in Chicago. Correct. And so for a long time, I put travel on hold. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, again, it's one of those things where we talked about when do you know it's time to change jobs? Um, when do you know you need to make a life change? When you don't feel enough joy. Right. Mm. <clears throat> so you just you commit to you. 
Mm-hmm. You commit to you. So I committed to, to me. And so um, I take, um, um, I take, this is, this will be my, this year was a third year of taking a girl's trip okay. where there, there's no husband and there's no kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I started to add travel back to my primary job rather than asking um, coworkers or employees to do it for me um, so that I um, then had more me time away from the needy people at the office and my loving but needy family mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So um, you have to recognize that the transition from you being highly available um, to not being only, you know, just a notch below that in the end will um, benefit everyone. Because trust me now, when I say that I'm going away for three or four days, no one blinks an eye. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. No one in the family blinks an eye. Mm. And um, we have at work, you know what, if you need me, text me, right? And otherwise... You have autonomy, mm-hmm. right? You know how I think. Um, most of this stuff is not rocket science. Um, it's just your comfort level in doing that. Mm-hmm. So it's it's you know you just have to invest in you. Mm-hmm. And you know, I you know like I'm sure there are friends who could come into this room and say she says that, but there's still these ten things that she doesn't invest in herself on. Mm-hmm. But that's okay. The really important things I do. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's not 100%, but if you can get 10 or 20% in, then you're winning, Mm -hmm. and you're a much better person for it. In in my opinion, I don't want to sound like the authority, but in my opinion, (laughs) you know. Uh, So knowing all that you know now, oh, no, so one question before that question. Can you think of a time, because I think a lot of times people won't raise their hands for for promotions or the CEO role, whether it's like, I don't feel like I'm worthy, I don't feel like I'm ready, is also the fact of like, I don't want to make mistakes on a large scale, right? Mm -hmm. Like, because at the CEO, when it's bad, it's your fault. When it's great, it's the team that did it. And so how have you, can you think of a time where, maybe not now, but at some point in your career where you made a mistake that you thought was like, it's the end, it's over for me, but looking back now, it probably helped you develop in ways that you could not have if it had Oh, yeah. Happened. I can tell, I can, t- and I wonder if it's okay. Like, it's okay to talk about these things now. So I absolutely <laughs> can talk to, to Yeah. Um, so, at, like I said, as a CIO at Chicago Public Schools, we were going through a huge transformation and trying to make technology work better just for the system in general. And so students began to um, have a voice in this, and they wanted technology um, that better served them. And so um, Google came along, and all the kids loved the collaborative efforts of Google. Okay. Um, but that wasn't our primary collaboration system. And so, um, but I received lots of feedback and I decided, you know what, let's just, let's spend some time presenting both of these tools to teachers and to students and let's, um, if we, you know, we can afford both, you know, like we'll, we'll, do, we'll add all the factors in, but let's at least have a strong voice mm-hmm. on what's usable. And so um, I, I did that and I made the non-corporate choice, the the pop, the choice that wasn't very popular with Chicago corporate, the corporate scene, yeah. and um, I, they were like, they're very upset with you. Oh. Um, you know, there was accusations of me being incompetent, of me violating rules on how you make selections since I work. You know, like there were all these things, um, but at the end of the day, the process repeated. The same decision was made. And um, I felt vindicated, but more importantly, I stood my ground. Mm-hmm. And um, when you're in situations like that, um, you have to um, uh, be very fact-based. 
you have to um, develop a new calm, mm-hmm. and um, you have to um, develop a persona um, that just is very um, easy um, to listen, be listened to, and I and I and and that was um, very new for not new, but it was that combination was something that has just benefited me mm-hmm. um, for a very long time. Hmm. Yeah, and you're like, nope, we're, I'm following the process. Yeah. I didn't, you didn't go rogue, <coughs> you followed the process, made sure it was fact-based. Yeah, because I think if mistakes are only a detriment if they were done haphazardly, right? Like, yeah. if you made a mistake that you didn't think it through, but if you're making the best decision with the information that you have, what else can you, you do? do? You know, and I will say, we, we talked a little bit about mentors before. Um, I had a mentor, um, and one of um, the his strong suits, and he was a mentor boss, Okay. <coughs> was that he didn't, I wasn't afraid to make a mistake. Mm. So I went through a period of being, learning how to explore new technologies and new approaches without the fear of it being career ending. Mm. But you get really good at doing it the right way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <coughs> so, last question before the lightning. Knowing everything that you know about what it takes to succeed, right? So in by all measures, you are at the top of the ladder. You're the CEO. I don't know what else is high. Is there a higher position than CEO? I don't know. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I'm right. So yeah. you're at the top of the ladder, but knowing what you know now, you okay? Yeah, I'm sorry. It's okay. Um, what would you say to a young black girl who's in college or in grad school getting ready to enter corporate in you know the next 12, 18 months? Like, what should they be thinking about on their college campus that's going to help make their transition from academic life to this real adulting thing that happens once you get into corporate? So, um, okay, so when I think about how people are evaluated and assessed in the workplace, it's about their ability to get things done, mm-hmm. right? So while you're in college, um, focus on being results-oriented and take advantage of opportunities where you have the experience of having to go through a process um, to accomplish something. Mm-hmm. Um, make sure you seek out an internship where it's a real internship. You know, I, you know. So I had my first intern last year. I didn't. Ha- I don't have one. Yeah, I do. <clears throat> my first intern last, and I and I always say to her that you have a lot to put on your resume because you accomplished a lot. Mm-hmm. So get an internship where they require you to work and they don't give you desk paper pushing to do. And then actually work. (coughs) Absolutely. I think that what, so I have 35 interns this summer and it's very interesting to see like the people who actually take the internship seriously because I think when you're that young and you're in college, you don't understand the role that, (coughs) not maybe that specific job place because all 35 of them won't work for me, but 35 of them could get recommendations from me yes. for the next position. And so using the resources on campus, I think, to like help prepare you to develop the habits so that when you are in corporate, you have the habits already of someone Absolutely. who is able to deliver. Super important. And then what I would also say that if you have the opportunity to host an intern, trust them. Be the um, employer that makes it easy for them to 
um, take ownership so that they're not afraid to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. And you build a better workforce um, when you give that leeway. And so hopefully, because they'll have two or three internships mm -hmm. before um, they're done with their college career, and maybe they'll come back to you and you've invested them and invested in them early on, and you've and you've created a really solid employee who's start not starting at ground zero when they come back to you. And the next, so one of the podcast episodes that's coming <coughs> up is around sending the elevator back down. So eight ways that you can do that, regardless of where you are. And it's internships. I think that people act like interns are a burden, and I know it's like extra work, but for a lot of those kids. It's their first professional experience. If their parents weren't in corporate, and so you could scar them yeah. based on how that <coughs> goes. We could, could totally change the trajectory of, of their career. So interns are important, so we're internships. Um, so this is the lightning round. Okay. Do not think it, like, too much. Like, it's literally okay. the first thing that comes to mind. Um, what's one piece of career advice that you wish you'd gotten earlier in your career? Um, just deal with it. Yeah, I, I used to stress out when things weren't equitable and fair, and I learned that sometimes you just got to deal with it. Hmm. What's Well, this might be the same. So what's the career <coughs> lesson that's taken you the longest to learn, but it's had the biggest impact on your career once you learned it? Um, to deal with it, but um, me first. Mm. Me first. Mm. What's one book that you could read over and over again? Oh, wow. Um, so I'm a fiction reader. Okay. Um, so take your way back trying to sleep in the bed you made two um, black women wrote it um, two black authors but then if I were to you know since this is about corporate who moved my cheese I love who moved my cheese yeah. it's so quick you could read it in an hour and it tells you to get out the rut quit doing the same things over and over mm. be open to change um, and then the last one is we all know that career decisions are made when you're not in the room so what do you hope people are saying about you when you're not in the room um I think the same thing that I said about um, interns, what they should strive for, is that what I strive for, I strive to be um, results-oriented. So I want um, people to say that I um, did my job, that I, I, got, I got my job done, and I went above and beyond, so it's a really good job that I did, not just a job as defined. Um, so I want them to say that I, I, I was results-oriented, that I get my job done, and that I'm fair. And hopefully, um, <clears throat> I am easy to work with. Um, I, I know that that's not always true, but um, there's the recognition that um, that I appreciate the people around me, and I've done a really good job in helping um, the team um, to work well together. Hmm. And so if people want to <coughs> learn more about you or Girls Inc., where is the best place to find you? Um, go to our website, okay. and um, there you can um, sign up for um, our newsletter. Um, you can sign up to volunteer, um, or you can just put in a general inquiry and ask whatever question you want, and we will get back to you. Perfect, Marshall. Thank you so much Thank for spending you. your afternoon for having me. I have all kinds of things swirling in my mind, and so... I'm, I have something to tell the girl that I was just talking to about her salary now. Like yeah. I have a, I have a, I'm like, you've only gone back and forth twice. You still got at least got four it. more times. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. I mean, I told you all that our show was absolutely amazing. And you all know that I like to end each episode with my top three gems. But there were so many that it was really hard to choose which ones I would pick as my final three. But here we go. First one. The importance of understanding that your mentors are sharing their perspective based on their experiences and how 
you can communicate to them the help that you need to translate that information into something that sounds good to you um, or that's something that you can use. Um, The second thing, because we always talk about networking on the podcast, is the importance of taking baby steps in growing and cultivating your network. So to take a little bit of that pressure off um, and just take small steps because slow progress is still progress. Um, And then I think lastly, especially because of the times that we're in right now, is that to understand that at the end of the day, everything's going to be okay. It may not turn out the way that we want it to. It may not turn out the way that we envisioned it. But for for all the things that happen in life, just trust that everything is going to turn out okay. As always, if you want to keep the conversation going, you can subscribe to our newsletter by texting CLIMB, C-L-I-M-B, to 66866. Again, that's CLIMB, C-L-I-M-B, to 66866. Or you can find us on Instagram at I Choose the Ladder or on Facebook at I Choose the Ladder Podcast. Until next time, thank you for listening.